Hi, this is Jesslyn Etchell, and I'm chatting with some of my favorite women in a series called Wildish Wise Women, Conversations with Everyday Goddesses. It's my passion to connect women and remind us that supporting one another is our greatest strength. These discussions are an extension of the in-person women's circles I lead in the Bay Area and will explore a variety of topics. Please note, we are adults having adult conversations. Subject matter and language may not be appropriate for young ears. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited to talk with Sara Hussein today. She is a marriage and family therapy trainee at Process Therapy Institute and a recent graduate of John F. Kennedy's Holistic Counseling Psychology Master's program. Congratulations. Thank you. Sara spends her time as a therapist, yogi, and sensualist, playing in the shadows and helping her clients bring light to their darkness by connecting to their vulnerable truth. She's going to talk to us today about a psychological exploration of the landscape of kink and a look at shadow play. Welcome, Sara. Thank you, Jocelyn. Well, before we launch into this super interesting topic, I really can't wait, I would like to just have a moment for us to connect to one another and also anyone listening if they want to join in just by taking a few deep breaths. So just a big inhale through the nose and exhale out the mouth. Just connecting the space together. And may each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. May each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Sara, what's your favorite thing about being a woman? Mm, there's so many things that I love about being a woman. Uh, I, I love the connection that I have with my body and my curves and uh, the way it moves when I'm dancing. Uh, I've recently started doing ecstatic dance and... Uh, that practice has, has really connected me to my, like, my feminine and my, you know, my ability to move and express myself centrally. So, uh, yeah, I think my, my body and my movement. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think I would like us to start with just, I mean, so you just graduated. Super exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. Yes. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, tell me a little bit about why you chose this path. I mean, specifically the MFT path, but then also what, um, where did your interest start to peak with the, with the kink culture and all of that? Because you wrote your thesis on it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just tell me a little bit about how that went down. For sure. That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Well, so my, my track to becoming a therapist began when I went to a yoga retreat in New Mexico um, in 2013, and I learned about um, holistic healing and aromatherapy and eco-psychology, and um, I just, I fell in love with the ways that we can heal ourselves by paying attention to our mind and our body and our spirit and how they're all connected. 
um, to nature and how our wild nature is the the um, the most beautiful and and uh, and welcoming thing to to explore. So I really um, that's when it kind of, my interest started, and then I've done a lot of therapy myself. So um, it's almost like paying it forward. I really feel. Um, called to work with people in their darkness and uh, I feel really comfortable in sitting in discomfort and um, I was always kind of like the person that people spoke to about their problems and um, I always felt like I, I held a space for them um, so yeah so that's kind of what drew me and I grew up in North Carolina and um, it was a really big move to move to California but there were only like three holistic counseling programs that focused on the mind, body, spirit and, and integrating different modalities of therapy. And they were all kind of on the West Coast in Seattle. <laughs> That's <California>. surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely progressive left. So uh, that's why I chose California. And it's been a, an amazing three years. I've learned a lot um, about myself and about therapy and about my clients. And um, it's been a real healing experience for me. And my um, my connection to kink and BDSM kind of uh, has always been lurking in the shadows. And um, I went to a sexual diversity day at Stanford last year. And there were two keynote speakers that spoke to the BDSM and kink experience. One is Richard Sprott, who uh, talked about BDSM and healthcare and how this population of kinky people uh, experience stigma and resiliency and the different ways they're kind of marginalized. Um, and then Dossie Easton, who is kind of famous for her piece, uh, The Ethical Slut. Oh, yeah, she, I've heard that before. Yeah, she talks a lot about polyamory and BDSM, and she's an MFT in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and she's really awesome. She has some great literature, fantastic writer, um, and she spoke to shadow play, fantasy, healing, journeys, and BDSM. So hearing both of them speak on this topic, I, um, I was fascinated because Dossie was talking about the ways that people use BDSM to heal their wounds and their trauma and how they alchemize pain into joy and and pleasure and wholeness. And I started to do my own research and found myself really drawn to the psychological elements of healing work via BDSM. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it connected with kind of Jungian shadow healing, play therapy, drama therapy. And I felt compelled to learn more and integrate the the psychological and the sexual elements without a judgmental or pathologizing lens. Um, seeing BDSM as kind of a healing instrument rather than an expression of, you know, brokenness or this kind of like lone wolf sadist picture that we paint of BDSM. Um, and seeing it as a personal growth tool and a way of confronting and embodying different aspects of ourselves that aren't necessarily okay or acceptable by our cultural standards. So um, I spent about nine months doing my thesis on this topic, and um, I focused primarily on 
BDSM as, as a healing narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I learned so much and I could fill up an hour just talking about the different terminology and language. It's, it's so vast and fascinating. Yeah, well, let's dive in a little bit there because I think that's important for people listening uh, to know the difference, to really understand what you're talking about. I mean, maybe some folks have heard the term BDSM and kink, but they may not totally know what it means. So can you yeah. just dive into some of the definitions, um, kind of the, the short of it, what we might need for, for, for today? Yeah, absolutely. It's really overwhelming to the, to the beginner and this kind of thing. Um, so BDSM is an acronym uh, comprised of six terms. It's uh, bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadism, and masochism. Uh, bondage involves restraint using a variety of different materials. Um, discipline is kind of um, altering or structuring a behavior based on positive and negative consequence. Uh, domination is um, having power and control over someone else. Submission is giving your power and surrendering your body to someone else. And sadism is... Uh, is the derivation of pleasure from pain and masochism is the, or sorry, from giving pain and masochism is the derivation of pleasure from receiving pain. All of these play with power mm-hmm. and uh, pressure and sensation and they can be erotic and non-erotic. And the biggest, biggest piece of this is that it's all consensual. And there's usually some sort of um, negotiation before a scene, which is a um, a period of time where you're doing this kind of uh, where you're practicing this kind of sexuality, and um, it's very heavily negotiated and carefully kind of planned. And there does there's a discussion of limits and um, what's okay, what's not okay, what triggers there are any sort of health issues. There's a lot of things that can kind of be talked about before um, a person or people kind of enter into this, into this play space. And um, sometimes it's even like a hard copy contract. Uh, A lot of people, yes, actually written out and signed by both parties. So there's a great deal of power involved from both parties. Um, And the biggest thing is consent. Yeah. So this is like something, I mean, not inclusive of, but something, for example, like a safe word, um, something that someone could say to to stop if they needed to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Safe words are critical. And what a safe word is, is it's a, a word or a phrase that will completely end the scene. So you know, if they're saying stop, 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 that that might be part of kind of playing out this helplessness. Mm-hmm. But if they're saying like to play on Portlandia's cacao, or pineapple or red, a lot of people use red as stop, kind of yellow as slow down. You're getting close to reaching my limit, mm-hmm. um, that kind of red, yellow system. Okay. So... Yeah, so that's so BDSM. Uh, that's BDSM defined. Um, when you're talking about power and erotic power exchange, you're talking about 
um, usually a top and a bottom or a dom and a sub. So someone that's dominating or someone that's being the submissive person Mm -hmm. in this exchange. Um, And these are really kind of just blanket terms. There's so much when you break it down. Um, It's pleasure, it's play, it's communication, it can be theater, it it can be, you know, play pretend. It's like make-believe for adults with the responsibility of sexuality. So, um, yeah, so I think BDSM is a good thing to, to define. And also, I'll probably be using the term shadow, in shadow play and um before i get into that do you have any questions about terms um well shadow play i would like to know i mean i know that uh, maybe younging in derivation but um kink also just make sure you you mention what that signifies yeah so kink and bdsm are often used interchangeably okay um usually hear about kind of like the kink community kinky people kinksters uh, those who practice BDSM. Okay. So BDSM. And then I know that therapy practices will often say they're kink aware or kink friendly if they're yes. indicating that they, they're, you know, willing or, or able to work with people, you know, with that non-judgmental stance. Yes. And I think it's important to mention here that there is a database for people that are looking for kink aware therapist, and it's called the KAP database. And what that means is kink-aware professionals, so lawyers, therapists, and doctors or medical professionals that um, are aware and are informed about the practices of kink and BDSM and um, have experience kind of working with this population. Wonderful. I will, I'll link that in the resources for sure. Yeah. And then and then you're going to define the shadow that you were talking about. Yeah. So... Uh, you mentioned Carl Jung, and he kind of coined the term shadow. Um, but what happens when we were children and we're young adults, we we learned what behaviors and traits and tendencies are met with approval by our parents and those around us, and what are met with disapproval and and shame and guilt. And what happens is that we emphasize the traits that are approved of and liked, and we downplay or hide the ones that aren't. And that's a natural thing to do. And we want to be liked and accepted. And as infants, it's actually critical for us to be liked and and cared for because that's what we need to survive. So um, for many, sexuality as a whole or, you know, certain flavors of sexuality, you're talking like anal sex or gay sex or, you know, um, sex involving multiple people, um, they can be met with internal judgment and become some, somewhat hidden and suppressed. So um, in order to avoid fear or disappointment or shame or punishment, we push those down and they become our erotic shadows. Mm. And um, going back to Carl Jung, a sh- the shadow is what is rejected from our conscious awareness. It's a storage unit for things that have been rejected from our conscious awareness. And we're, when we're faced with something that's really overwhelming, like incest or abuse or rape or war or torture, something that's too shattering to the psyche, we split off from that experience 
um, in order to preserve our sanity, mm-hmm. uh, also known as dissociation, right? Yeah. So all of the all of this stuff that we split off from gets packed away in our shadow. So shadow play refers to a like a BDSM interaction where you're exploring the psychological landscape, you're triggering the shadow in some way. Um, you're exploring archetypes, uh, trauma, you're um, playing with forbidden or unacceptable emotions, and, um, you know, addressing the, a place where we freeze away our family secrets, our, um, you know, our concept of what's taboo, cultural trauma, um, illness, death, abuse, sex. Going back to the cultural trauma piece, there's um, there's specific people in the BDSM community that will play with, you know, um, Jew and Nazi or slave and slave master. So they'll actually kind of play those out in order to explore that shadow material. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a, a little synopsis of shadow. Yeah, you're right. We could just talk only on the definitions for for quite a while, huh? Yeah. (laughs) It's so complex and it strikes me as as super um, deliberate as well. I mean, there's there's something that is really trying to be accomplished here. And I and I gather that this shadow play is really where the healing happens. Yes. And I, I appreciate that you're you are bringing up intention because the people that kind of play play in this space are very intentional and they're um they're consciously exploring something that they know will bypass psychological defenses so they're aware of the risks and um you know usually not beginners kind of playing in this type of uh psychological territory yeah it seems like there's so much involved in it yes yeah and so talk a little bit about how BDSM can be used as a healing. I mean, you're, you're already going there with it, but, but what else? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how do you see it play out to help people heal? It can be as simple as um, kind of exploring power. Uh, so dominating your partner. It could be playing with, you know, power and force and aggression, things that we're told never to touch as women, right? Um it could be re- replaying a traumatic event. And uh, in, my, in my thesis research, I found um, this case study where this man was uh, kind of ritually abused. And before I go any further, I just want to give a, a heads up that, um, that this may be disturbing to some people that are, uh, that are easily triggered by abuse. So do whatever you need to take care of yourself around that. But, um, this man was ritually abused by his mother, um, who would spank him with a wooden brush every like twice a month. And, um, him and his partner would be, uh, they, they practiced BDSM and she spanked him once and he absolutely lost it. And they came to a therapist to talk about how they could um, design a scene to reenact this um, this traumatic event for him in a way that was reclaiming of power and a voice. Because 
what his mother would do is she would hit him harder if he made any sound. So there was this double bind, right? It's like this excruciating pain and then this suppression of natural urges. So um, the whole goal of this BDSM scene was to kind of interrupt the double bind to give him voice when he was being spanked by his wife in a safe container with a safe word. And they had very kind of strict um strict and heavily negotiated plans around this um, and somebody that would come in and take care of both of them afterwards because um, aftercare is a is an important part of BDSM as well, kind of recalibrating after you've, you've reached this either in flood of endorphins or this very kind of deep emotional space. You want to be able to process it. You want to be taken care of and kind of coddled back into reality and a functional mental space. So um, what happened is that this couple did that and he he ended up so he before he before he did this he had a stuttering problem that was impacting his work. Um, he was a executive market marketing director so it was a very big part of his uh, professional career so that's what brought him into therapy to begin with and then it all kind of unraveled and they started planning this scene and the aftermath of the scene was that he wasn't stuttering anymore so he actually healed himself through um, this carefully designed scene um, with the support of his wife and this you know this healing container of love and um, and support, and all of this was facilitated by a therapist as well, um, not in the room, but you know in the planning in the aftermath. Yeah. It was all processed with the therapist. So that's uh, super that's powerful. Really, yeah, yeah. I I read that and I was so just amazed and impressed with. Um, the level of awareness that took to to kind of do the deep work. Yeah, it does sound like it would require someone really guiding you through it because that could be super intense. I, I mean, he, he could, like you said, the first time she spanked him, he totally lost it and, and had yeah. not got curious and, and thought, how can I, how can I use this and, and how can I have someone support me to make that happen? You know, that could just be re-traumatizing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And what's discussed in this case study is how the therapist kind of lays out all these risks, you know, you could end up re-traumatizing yourself, you could end up with PTSD, you could, um, you know, you could, you could risk your marriage. Um, mm. What if you never look at this woman the same? Uh, what if this ruins BDSM for you and sex and all of these other risks and they decided to go ahead with it anyway. And, um, it sounds like it worked out for them, but it's also helpful to know that there are some risks involved and, um, you know, you are kind of delving into really deep psychological territory. So well, right. when we're be. talking about the shadow, we don't really know how deep it goes. Sometimes yeah. we've buried things we're totally unaware of. Yeah. And so you never know what's going to come bubbling up. Well, the nature of the shadow is to hide. 
Mm, yeah, so, absolutely. It doesn't want to come to the light. Exactly. And and the thing that strikes me so much about the shadow and about that kind of work is that we're dismissing a part of ourselves. So mm. at its core, it's going to be detrimental to our everyday being because it's part of us and we've just pushed it so far that that um I mean we we feel like I feel like we have to go after it at some point in order to find whole yeah oh yeah you're speaking to that like suppression of our of our parts and how that constricts the flow of our energy um in our vital life force yeah, one of my favorite yoga teachers, Siana Sherman, she she says, you know, when when we deny ourselves, that is what happened. Our ener- our energy goes after it. Our energy's like, "Hey, that's part of me." Yeah. <laughs> I need it. And and so then we yeah, we get fragmented. Absolutely. So, and Carl Jung says, "What we resist persists." Yes. So <laughs> it's going to just yeah. keep coming up again and again in different ways until we figure out a way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously this is not the only way to deal with shadow stuff, but this is one, one way that obvious, you know, that has worked for a lot of people. Um, I'm curious if you can talk that you gave an example about a gentleman, but can you talk about women and, and how some, you know, how women can find healing through this practice? Absolutely. Um, so I think it can be really powerful to, to kind of unpack the the material that lives in our shadows as women, you know, what we're told not to be or do or say, or, you know, how, how we're told to be ladylike and, and not powerful and not aggressive and don't be a bitch. And, um, how we're kind of also told to not be submissive and we're told to not be, you know, like the housewife. And there's a lot of judgment around being helpless as a woman as well. So, we're kind of walking this fine line between being uh, told not to be powerful and told not to be uh, forthcoming and, and dominant. And we're also being told not to be dependent or childish or subservient. So there's this, there's this polarity uh, often in psychology, we call it like the schizophrenic um, double bind. We're told don't be this way and be this way. And so I think a really powerful way to connect with those things is pay attention to what we're fantasizing about and, um, and noticing any judgment that comes up around, um, around a fantasy or a desire and then going deeper into that and, and kind of uncovering what, what is there to be ashamed about. And, um, I think like there's a lot of judgment from the like the like radical feminist about uh women being subs and submission um and i think it it can be really helpful for women to be to allow themselves to occupy a position of submission that's um that's kind of directed by them. So they're not actually being submissive. They're designing a scene where they get to be something that they're told not to be. Um, also to with fully embrace with, it. Yeah. To fully embrace being submissive and fully embrace being, um, childish and dependent and playing with those aspects of ourself as much as we're playing with power and control and domination. So, 
I think it's a really cool thing that we get to play with this with an intention and consciousness and illuminate that which we're hiding and suppressing, which actually helps us integrate that part of ourselves. We get to act out dependency and childishness and rebelliousness and subservience and ab- aggression. And, you know, that could mean dominating your partner, playing with elements of power. It could be welcoming that part of you that needs to be a helpless and dependent child. Or it could be channeling a wild primal animal, um, giving voice to that kind of animalism within. And it sounds uh, like the sky's the limit. I mean, you could, within one relationship, conduct numerous different scenes playing all these things out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that way it is like, uh, it is like a play, you know? Yeah. You get to be whatever you want to be. And you get to play with whatever part. In the world, we don't get to control what's given to us about, you know, societal expectations and about um, things that happen to us in life. And so here it sounds like Mm. you get to control the end of the story. You get to decide the way that it plays out and how it makes us feel. Yes. Yeah. And we get to be with this person in a trusting and intimate way and process it afterwards. You mean the professional or your, your partner that you're with? Your partner, your partner, you get to process it together. You get to explore kind of what you're comfortable with and what you weren't and why you didn't voice your discomfort and kind of all of these different parallel experiences come out. Well, it sounds super empowering. Yeah, absolutely. So I... I love the way that you talk about it so respectfully and and you made a point to say there are risks and you really have to be intentional about it and set it up so that you are safe, so that you really do feel safe through this whole process. But I'm curious if you could just touch a little bit on um, when it might not be a healthy environment uh, exploring this. If if you've encountered that, if there's any times that people um, aren't kind of setting it up for, for success and for safety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think boundaries are a big thing. And a lot of people struggle with boundaries and expressing what they want. And, you know, particularly as women, we're, we're not really trained to express what we want and tell our partner what we need. And often that takes a lot of a lot of work, at least it has in my, you know, in my own experience. Um, So kind of having having solid boundaries is really important and people that don't this, you know, this probably isn't the best, um, best way to, to kind of play with that. Uh, also people that have a lot of like a lot of rage and a lot of that are presenting with a lot of very strong, intense emotions, um, in negotiation. So you want to have like a very informed negotiation with your partner and, if that's kind of bringing up a lot of emotions, it may not be the best time to play. So that would Uh, be a red flag if you're sitting down to lay out the the details of the scene, for instance, and and they're very highly volatile and emotional about things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I say that because there's there's a very high risk of um, dissociation if people are triggered. And... You really want to be mindful of the the headspace that you're entering, um, 
But then also thinking about relational patterns that people are having, um, choosing healthy partners, people that they trust. Um, yeah. And then also um, there was a mention in one of the studies that I read about this couple that um, that wanted to introduce a third uh, a third partner into their sexual relationship and there was already domestic violence there was already white hot rage and they came to the therapist kind of wanting to introduce that and um, you know the therapist said I don't really recommend this because the volatility is really high and you know it's it's BDSM is kind of an expression of your constricted energy rather than being open and expansive and using this as a tool for healing. And uh, they were kind of using it as a way to, uh, to express, um, express like rage or constriction in their relationship, if that makes sense. So just being mindful about what the intention is, um, having a, a trusting and uh, open partner that you can talk to before and after and during and who you feel comfortable saying no at any point along the way is, is really important. Yeah, it sounds like it could make or break a relationship, honestly. I mean, it could really bring you together or it could show you where it might not work. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything that you want to share about your, you know, just your exploration in your professional thesis or even in your personal life, anything that, that this culture um, has shown you that has been super valuable, like a takeaway for you? Yeah, I think staying curious and staying open and just noticing when you're feeling judgment and observing it as if you were observing any other feeling, um, that kind of, that message has become very clear to me. And it's this process of healing our unloved and repressed and disowned aspects that can be so transformative and integrating and powerful. Um, it's this process of, of, loving our whole self despite any kind of ugly ugliness or brokenness and and seeing that as beautiful as well and staying curious about it all and also uh, I've discovered personally the avenues where I find my shadow communicating to me more and that is uh, when I'm projecting onto other people hmm. um when I, you know, go into a room and I'm like, I really can't stand that person. And I start to kind of unpack the, the reasons why. And really, it's just a projection of my own shadow. So it gives me a lot of information and insight about what's going on for me. So just having the awareness and the, the attention around that has been really um, helpful and giving me a lot of insight. And um, drawing and painting and being um, creative, like I said, with the ecstatic dance, that allows us to connect with our erotic shadow and our, and our emotional shadow. And 
it can connect us to the things that we really want to push away. And it gives us an invitation to sit face to face with that and stay curious. And it's been, it's been a really amazing journey and I'm not done. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's so wonderful. And, and, you know, for, for the other therapists out there listening or anyone that's in a helping profession, it's so important that we keep just just looking inside. What what more can we do? The more that we can unfold within ourselves, the more that we can show up and, and serve others. And I think you're just living and breathing a wonderful example of that. Just really yeah. not just saying I'm here to help other people, but I'm here to look at my own stuff and, and then see how that will, you know, play out when I'm showing up for others. Yeah, absolutely. I see, I see my clients as kind of fellow travelers and mm-hmm. we're just kind of like looking at this beautiful jewel from all these different angles and discovering the the hidden beauty that we may not have seen before. And and things that we may not see as beautiful. So it's really an honor to, to be a part of people's healing journeys. And um, yeah, it's, it's a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. It so is. Huh. Well, I just have a few fun questions for you. Sorry. What's one book that changed your life, Sarah? Uh, definitely Women Who Run With the Wolves by oh. Dr. Clarissa Pinkola is death. <laughs> Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, what's your favorite yoga pose? Ah, uh, pigeon. It always brings me to tears. Always. That's a good sign in my world. So you, you and I are kindred souls. Yeah. <laughs> tears are a sign of, of truth. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yes. And do you have a favorite quote? Oh, it's a it's a Brene Brown quote, and oh, it's she about has so many good ones. I know, I know. It's hard, it's hard to remember the exact words, but it's about um, being brave and and facing challenges and being okay with being vulnerable and loving yourself anyway. Um, I'm not. I totally butchered that. Quote. Well, that, that sounds like everything she teaches. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's about accepting where you are in the moment and. And uh, being okay with not being okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. This is owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we will ever do. That's it. That is the quote. Hooray! <laughs> well, I think it. that just encapsulates everything that we just talked about. Yes. What a beautiful way to wrap it all up. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Sarah, for everything, just for, for showing up um, to this this space and sharing your wisdom and just for doing this work. Uh, I mean, what a gift to the therapy community that you have just taken. Like you just went, yes, I will accept that challenge. Let me do it. <laughs> Let uh, me well, dive in. <laughs> that's what I'm, you know, holding space for my clients to do. So I just, I feel like it's it's honoring them. And uh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing, too. And I look forward to, to having more conversations like this. Yay. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful yeah. evening. You, too. Thanks, okay. Jessalyn. Bye-bye.